0: Travel creates stories. Unforgettable stories that can make us smile, laugh, or even cry. I'm David Calderon, and you're listening to Out of Office, powered by Contiki. This podcast is for people who love to travel. In each episode, we'll be talking about hot topics and intriguing destinations. On today's episode, I'm going to be speaking to Meg and Lindsay Kale about their experiences of traveling as an LGBTQ couple to countries with strict laws against homosexuality. I'll also be catching up with journalist Adam Hancock about the things to see, do, and eat in Africa. Now, when we pick a travel destination, we often think about how close it is to local transport, what the weather's going to be like, and if the area we're staying in is safe. But how is that different for LGBTQ travelers? Does being LGBTQ restrict the number of destinations available to you? Mae Kell is an LGBTQ travel blogger and public speaker who together with her wife, Lindsay, run an LGBTQ travel blog, Dopes on the Road. Hello, guys. How are we? Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. Of course. Thank you for stopping by. So we will start off with you, Meg. When did you first kind of start traveling?
1: Sure. So I have a little bit of an unconventional travel story. Um, I was very long story short. uh, (laughs) This is a very long story. But um, my mom was a teenager when she had my brother and I um, and then was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer when I was eight years old. So we traveled for unconventional reasons. We traveled because I needed somewhere to stay. My mom was sick, having treatment. We had to go to meet family. We had somewhere that we needed to go. Um, and So by route of a tragic situation, I got to see a lot of the United States um, traveling by car. You get to see a lot more. We did a lot of road trips and all of our relatives lived in different parts of the country. So we would zigzag across the country, you know, meeting with grandma, meeting with this aunt, with this uncle and so on and so forth. But it fostered a lot of conversations that kind of... Taught me to ask questions and taught me to question what I was seeing and, you know, how things are different from here, from there within the United States. So obviously not as different as, say, um, two different countries, but kind of fostered that thirst for otherness and seeing things around the world um, that I didn't actually take my international first international trip until I was in college. But I definitely think that was the foundation for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I didn't I I'd didn't even travel internationally until my last year of uni, too. Yeah. Lindsay, have you traveled much before you met Meg?
2: I had traveled some. My early life was mostly defined as an athlete. I spent most of my time playing basketball, and my early travel days were mostly defined by bus trips with teammates and family. We had some, you know, family vacations sprinkled in here and there. But for me, my like desire to travel, I think, really started as I became more confident in my own, uh, just more confident in myself. My, you know, I came out to my family, cut my hair, just kind of like grew into myself, um, and then wanted to be introduced and meet more people like me, seek out some of the queer community. Um, And when I did that, I kind of felt like the whole world opened up because I'm from small town Pennsylvania and there's just really not a lot going on and everybody's kind of the same. And then as soon as I got out for the first time and it was like this incredible breath of like fresh air, like there are people like me in the world and it just made me want to seek it out like a hundred times more.
0: How did you two meet? The oh, internet. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> like all she, was, those stories. she was quick on that one. The internet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, no, we met on a dating site and I was living in New York City um, from Brooklyn. So I was there and Linz was in Pennsylvania and now like in retrospect it's really funny to think about like those early first meetings because we're just from completely different backgrounds and you know there were like small things like the first time I went to Pennsylvania I was completely overwhelmed by the grocery store
0: too many choices <laughs> too many choices <laughs> yes yeah. well before making your guys this trip as an LGBTQ couple were you guys nervous like what were your thoughts going in your head when this was something you guys decided to do
1: Well, I knew she was the one when I decided to move to South Korea. I got a job about eight months um, into us dating. And I said, so I think I'm moving to Korea. (laughs) And she said, awesome. Can I come visit? And I was like, you know what? Like, okay, like, we'll we'll figure this out. And it was crazy because she had never traveled internationally and didn't know anything about Korea and was just kind of like. We'll figure it out. And
0: at this point, you were still in Pennsylvania. Yes. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yep. I hadn't done the the full
2: big international trip yet. Yeah, so Korea was my first.
1: And so we, uh, I went for the first couple months, started my job, and then she came out for a few months. And then we used Korea as a base to kind of travel a lot of different places in Asia. And yeah, we kind of never stopped since then. <laughs> and
0: since then, you had the travel bug and you're like, let's never stop. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, does anywhere stand out as being a place that you're... Per- particularly concerned about visiting as an LGBTQ couple?
1: Well, there's still 70 destinations where it's illegal to be LGBT. Um, and it varies widely depending on the destination. So all the way from 14 countries where it's punishable by death through countries where they have light prison sentences. And I say that in jest because, of course, it's ridiculous to have a prison sentence. But there's a humongous difference. But then on the opposite side of the spectrum, there's still destinations like that are... Politically, really great for LGBT people. Like Brazil is a great example. They have tons of great inclusive policies in Brazil, but then they also have the you know the highest rate of transgender murders. So it's more of we talk about anti-LGBT destinations a lot, but it's more nuanced than just like oh good and bad. You yeah, know, there's, there's a, lot a big there's a, there's
0: a big gray area there that's just like like you said like the 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 punishment or you know just the way of yeah it's just very gray area and how what happens to LGBTQ people as they go traveling to said countries. Right, right. Yes, yes. But you guys traveled to Egypt, yes? yes? Yes. What was it that made you want to go to Egypt?
1: Well, I really had kind of a schoolgirl crush on Egypt. I mean, I still do. I still haven't. I haven't, I haven't
0: gone, and I just I want to go like to like see all like the tombs and everything. Yeah, I want to go to the pyramids. I think there's diamonds under the Sphinx. Not
1: really, but you never know.
0: You never
2: know. You
1: never know. It really is buy.
2: every bit
0: as incredible as that. Like
2: you're making that in your head. It, re- it, it really, it really is. is.
1: Yeah, but it's like you know, you're like in school and you see like the. Five pictures of the world, and one of them is always the pyramids. And I was like, I just, I, I want to see this. And, and Lindsay and I were like talking about like, which destination should we go to, and we kind of just agreed. Like Egypt was like that magical, like travel destination, you know, like hard travel.
0: Um, when you guys landed in Egypt, what was going through your head, Lindsay? What was going through your head well, when, as you landed?
2: I think even more before we landed, I think the biggest moment w- for us was before we, just a couple days leading up to the trip, there had been fifty people arrested for fr- flying a pet a flag at a concert. Um, and so they had been arrested, like gay. A flag. Yes, a, a gay in Egypt was like a hot button issue. And I remember we were boarding the flight and we sat down and we kind of made eye contact and we were like holding hands. And I remember asking her the question, like, what do I do if I get arrested? And that was the first time we had really had that moment that like, we're doing something incredible, but it's not without risk. And I think that for us, for both of us, was the moment that we were like, this is a big a big change in the way we travel. And that's probably the moment that I'll like, remember about like the start of the trip. I think that moment for both of us was really, really powerful.
0: So when you guys got there, were you guys already kind of like, crap, we have to act differently? Like, how are you guys, how are you guys as a couple? Are you guys super affectionate already? Or was it kind of like not a thing when you guys landed in Egypt that you had to like worry too much on that? I think
1: we were when we first started dating, but because the travel... Love yeah. The love is still there, though. The love is still there. Because travel has become such like a, a huge part of our life, we're more conscious yeah. of like our actions and the things that we're doing. So we lived in South Korea where as a culture, they're just not okay with PDA. Like, gay, straight, doesn't matter. It's just part of the culture. And while we were living there, we really tried to respect that, you know, it's just part of being an expat, you know. Um, But as like the years have gone by, we definitely are more or less affectionate, depending on where we are. We try to be, you know, always first respectful of the destination. So I don't know. Particularly in Egypt, I think we were definitely aware of it, you know,
2: just keeping that like extra step between us kind of thing. Um, But we had made the decision to travel with Kentiki and travel in the group setting to kind of give us that buffer. Uh, we're, you know, a little bit worried to just go out on our own and kind of like, here's Egypt,
1: like figure it out. It yeah, was I mean, lip- you
0: hear horror stories, you know, even like for like straight couples and just like PDA, you know, mm-hmm. like the wrong Absolutely. place, wrong time. And you're just like, ooh.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, and for us, there was a lot. It was the fear also came from like our gender expression. So me traveling as a woman in a country that's known for, you know, really aggressive kind of. Actions against women and Lens, who's visibly gay and gender nonconforming, conforming um, You know, it was we definitely had some thoughts about like what are like in the pre-prep pre-prep process. What are we gonna <laughs> we- <laughs> What are we gonna wear? Like, are we going? You know, it's l- less for us about like are we going to physically touch, and more about Lens's gender expression and how people are going to perceive her. You know, um, are they gonna think she's a man? She's often you know mistaken for a man because she's so tall. Um so those kind of things were the stuff that's kind of going through our head as we landed but luckily we had a really fabulous um trip manager who The first day, we went to the Pyramids of Giza. And, you know, that's, like, the thing. And that's the thing about this particular Kantiki trip is that you think, like, oh, the pyramids are going to be the highlight. But no, it's, like, every single day you do something really awesome. And so we're like, oh, the pyramids, first day, okay. So I'm taking pictures of Linz. Linz is taking pictures of me. And then we do, like, the world's most awkward photo where we're, like, really, like, conscious of, like, we're not touching. We were like, it's like you're it's like sitting the, beside the, it's a each picture, other. It's a picture but, together
0: and you're yeah. like, do I put my armor around her? Like, <laughs> yeah. well, like, and, and then it just comes out awkward. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: And, and then what did he say to you?
2: Our trip manager came over and he just was like really, really subtle, was just like, just take the picture. Like, you're fine. Just take the picture. And so we kind of like looked at each other and we we're like, okay. So we like moved closer and we got like that image. It's literally an image that we'll like have for the rest of our lives. Like this was our trip this was our this was our like pyramids moment, but it was definitely a moment that would have been lost without getting like a little bit of nudge from the trip manager. Yeah, yeah and
0: it's one of those things that you would hope wouldn't have to be a thing to worry about when wanting to take such a memorable picture and just have like a moment together. Um, Lindsay, so as a gender nonconformative person, when you go to countries um, where people might read you as male, they might read you as female. What kind of things do you have to think about in that situation?
2: Yeah, um, I I feel like it's like a constant series of decisions. For me, mostly, I try to pretty early on, we try to gauge, are the people here, are they reading me as male or female? And that's like the first question. Usually when I'm in the UK or when I'm in the States, it's pretty safe to say like most people recognize me as female. But like in our trip to Istanbul, it was 100% the opposite. People read me 100% as male. And so I think knowing kind of early on which one you know, people are leaning towards it, makes the trip a little bit smoother. Now, obviously, I'm super privileged in the fact that I have that choice. There's so many people that don't have that. You know, they are clearly just somewhere in between gay the whole time. But for me, I can put a hat on and I'm tall and I can and just, just, just like kind of blend boy. and you can just follow you right into the men's bathroom and nobody thinks anything. Um, and so that's kind of what we try to do. But I also try to be really respectful of. the the culture and that's something that both both meg and i talk about a lot is the best example is we were in we were just in istanbul and I, i wanted to go to the mosques like that's you know part of what you go to istanbul for and we had so many conversations about like do i cover my hair that's what that's what's appropriate for a female to do but everyone thinks i'm a guy and so if i cover my hair first of all is it an unsafe situation because everyone's thinking why is this man covering his hair And second of all, is it drawing away the attention from it should be on the mosque, it should be on everyone here having this experience, Mm -hmm. but instead they're wondering, what is this man doing in the corner with his hair covered? You know what I mean? And so for me, it's a series of questions or a series of decisions of how to stay true to myself, how to be appropriate with the culture, and most of all, how to stay safe.
0: So what did you which, which did you end up doing?
2: I did not cover my hair.
0: Okay, but at that at that point it just
2: It felt like the safest choice, I think, is what the ultimate the decision came down to.
1: Yeah, and I ended up choosing to cover my hair and Lens didn't cover hers. And we were a little bit, you know, concerned about, you know, when we posted the images online or what our followers think and all of that. But ultimately it provided a kind of unique opportunity to talk about some of these issues of gender and culture and these decisions that we make in a way that wouldn't have happened if you hadn't gone and missed out on that experience.
0: Now, you actually bring up a good point. Have you guys received any backlash across social media for visiting a country with anti-gay laws? Or like what have been some of the responses you've made? Or what oh have been gosh. some of the responses you've received?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've had a couple articles specifically about anti-LGBT stuff um, go viral. One, The first one uh, was reposted by George Takai. And the comments were just filled with, well, just don't make out. And it's like, OK, well, there's a lot of people who don't pass. You know, you, you can't just go to a place and like butch it up. You know what I mean? You can't just go to a place and be like, oh, we'll be more feminine. Let's put on a dress. You'll be fine. Um, if They're just people who don't pass as straight. And it's a reality. So it's a lot more than just like, oh, don't have PDA in certain destinations. You know, so we had a lot of opportunity to respond to comments like that. Um, we had a lot of really, really negative comments around the Pulse shooting time. It was just like a really tragic point in LGBT history, and American history. Um, but for the most part, people are pretty cool and people are pretty interested in what we're doing and really welcoming and supportive. So those are kind of outlier experiences. I but think. I
2: also think it's been amazing. Every time we're in a place that's like, you know, traditionally thought of as anti-LGBT, you would be shocked by the amount of messages of people That see our content on social and we're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you're here. You know, like these are the parties you should go to or because like the gay people exist everywhere. And so when they see us that that we're there, they want to share like their tiny little queer world with us. And that's been really, really cool.
0: And just because a country has anti-gay laws doesn't necessarily mean that is the entire framework of everyone who lives in said country. Right, right. Well. What advice would you guys give to other LGBTQ travelers, especially those seeking to travel to countries with anti-LGBTQ laws in place?
2: I would definitely say do your homework. First of all, you have to, you know, find out not only what what the, the the policies are, but you can get a pretty good gauge of what it's like for people on the ground. So do a lot of reading. You're ultimately going to have to make a lot of decisions for yourself and because everyone's gender presentation is different, everyone's experience is going to be different. But like first and foremost, do your homework before you get on the ground. We would you would be surprised by how many times we've had people go places and then reach out to us and be like, I went to this place and it was we had a terrible experience. And it's like, on one hand, I'm really sorry that you're you know, your holiday was terrible, but there's a lot of information out there saying, like, if you want to go make out with your wife on the beach, like, maybe Jamaica isn't the place for you.
0: You know what <laughs> what I mean? No, it's true. It's true. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: Well, and, you know, one of the reasons that we do what we do is because there isn't that much information available for some of these like topics. And so like, for example, when we were going to Egypt, we like asked in all of these different like LGBT Facebook groups, you know, has anybody been to Egypt who's also gender nonconforming? What was your experience like? What was this? Um, And sometimes people can come up with really great advice that you, you know, wouldn't have considered. And sometimes it's like crickets. So that's why we try to go to some of these places that are, are less known and less visited so that we can create the contents for other people who want to see the pyramids, you know, like want to see some of the like Indonesia, Jamaica, all these beautiful places that don't necessarily have the policies in place. That we wish they did.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely good because it's like you guys mentioned that you guys had a little hard time trying to find the information you needed, especially for you, Lindsay, when you were traveling as a gender nonconformative But it's good that you guys are there now. You are making the experiences to share the information with people who now they had the question. They can look to you guys and hear about your guys' experiences.
1: That's the hope. (laughs) hope.
0: (laughs) That is what we're doing. (laughs) Well. Have you guys ever been put off from visiting a country? And if not, what is it
1: that keeps you going? Well, I kind of draw the line at beheading.
0: <laughs> not fair enough. I, I, I think that is fair. <laughs>
1: <I>
0: mean, <laughs> off with their heads, death.
1: I mean, I, I joke, but I do. Uh, you know, there are countries that are more and less risky. And so there's a huge, big, great, big world out there to see. You know, we've seen a lot of it, but definitely not all of it. So we're prioritizing places ahead of, you know say, countries where you're beheaded. And I yeah. think, you know, that's fair.
0: <laughs> yeah, the death penalty is scary to anyone. Yes. Yeah, no, I I, <laughs> I, I I, think those are very good life choices. You've convinced me, but for our listeners, in a nutshell, convince me why LGBTQ travelers should travel to places such as Egypt, which has anti-LGBTQ
1: laws. Because LGBT people deserve to see the beauty and wonder of the world regardless of their sexual orientation or gender identity. Yeah, and
0: there it is. Yeah. Well, thank you, ladies, so much for coming in and talking to us. I really appreciate it. You have been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you to Megan Lindsay Kale for speaking so passionately about LGBTQ travel. Now, it's time for the part of the podcast we're calling Travel Porn. If you're ready to find that next destination to post for on the gram, then you're going to love what's next. This is all about the epic, unique, and often undiscovered experiences you'll want to check out for yourself. Today's Travel port is taking us inside Africa. Now, Africa is definitely on my bucket list, and hopefully it's going to be on yours too. To tell us more about it is traveler and journalist, Adam Hancock. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. Thank you very much. So, when did you go to Africa?
3: So I went to uh, visit East Africa in 2017. Okay. Yeah, so I went to Kenya, Uganda and Rwanda.
0: Okay, cool. So when you decided to finally go on this trip slash jealous, (laughs) (laughs) where where did you
3: start? Uh, So I started in Nairobi, uh, the capital of Kenya which um, is, is a good transport hub for the region. A little bit of an intimidating place to start. Why so? It's a city that has a bit of a bad reputation, okay. I would say. Um, it's quite a full-on city, quite an intense city, but it's also kind of diving into the deep end, as it were. Um, so it was a great place, actually, to kind of get to grips.
0: Trial by fire. Trial by fire, exactly.
3: <laughs> and that first day when I arrived from the airport, I was on my own, heading off in a taxi to where I was staying. Everything was different, and... As well as being massively excited, I was also massively scared. But I think that's one of the trill- the, the thrills even of travel. It's just getting out of your comfort zone into a new environment and, and embracing it all. And Nairobi really was that. So when you landed, did
0: you already have kind of like a route planned or you literally would like hit the ground and you're like, what to do next?
3: It was a mixture of both. I, I was actually intending to go from Nairobi to Cape Town. Okay. Um, but I quickly sort of realized that I hadn't given myself enough time. But then I thought, why rush whizzing through countries just to just to follow a route when actually I could explore a bit more have a bit more time in the free countries. Uh, and that's what I did. I, I, I kind of had penciled in a bit of a route and I obviously had like an entrance and an exit point. But a lot of it was also going off other travelers' recommendations, uh, reading blogs, uh, people that I met along the way and just kind of random adventures which popped up along the way as well. You, you know, I, I went to free countries in East Africa, so different to North Africa, it's so different to Southern Africa, it's so different to the West... Each country was different, let alone the entire continent. So, yeah, scratching the surface. So I know I definitely want to go to Africa. And when I think about it, one of the
0: things I always think about is safaris. Yes. So did you do any of those while you were over there?
3: Yes. Uh, in Kenya, I visited the the Masai Mara uh, for a th- two days it was on safari. Uh, obviously, safari is is a bucket list item for most people, especially in Africa. So I couldn't not go and, and do a safari. And we, we got all the animals. We got all five of the big five. Please don't ask me to name the big five because I can't remember. But it's... it's let's, try,
0: let's try, let's try, let's try. Elephants, obviously. Elephants, yes. And I, I always see pictures of like people posting like rooms with a window and a giraffe sticking out his head into the window. Yes,
3: giraffes, yeah. Uh, lion, Lion. I believe. Cheetah. All right. Uh, and who... Ooh, maybe buffalo or hippo? I don't know. Hippo, let's go with hippo. Let's go with hippo. <laughs> yeah. Those are
0: the five. <laughs> Those are the five
3: of our big five. We yeah. call it. Um, but yeah, no, we saw all the big five. Uh, we saw one of the famous spots where the buffalo have to cross the river. You've probably seen it on documentaries, and then all the hippos wait in the river, and the hippos jump up and catch the buffalo. What? Yeah, it's it's, it's a crazy scene. I mean, we didn't. We weren't at the time. Basically, the the buffaloes have to cross. It's mating season, I think. Um, and the hippos all con- congregate around the part of the river where they cross because they know because they know they're coming, and it's basically a free for all. You just have to run down as a buffalo, charge through, uh, get to the other side without being caught by a hippo. So we saw that little bit of the river, but there was no buffaloes at the time. But we did see hippos uh, oh, wow. swimming in the water. Yeah. So when you, when they put you guys up and when you're on
0: safari and you're like staying in your camp, like how close are you to s- the animals that you're actually like seeing?
3: Um, so at night time, you you were sort of in a in a safe area. Uh, you can hear the animals. I remember waking up and, and hearing animals, um, like in the distance or like outside your tent. Not quite outside the tent; <laughs> they were in the distance, okay. so it's it's okay. But when you when you're on your safari vehicle and you're out in out in the park, you you get very very close to the animals. I I thought you wouldn't be as close as we were, mm. uh, but you literally park up right next to them, and yeah, you've got stick your head out the rear of the car. You've got a lion there. You've got a giraffe there. You've got you've got a cheetah there. So it's an incredible way to see wildlife really close up and i guess in the wild really
0: oh wow um when you were in africa how was the food
3: one bit of food that always stands out for me was in uganda and it was uh it's called rolex as like the watch uh, but it's actually rolled eggs so they ah. they make it it's very clever name they roll an omelette out or they make an omelette and then roll a chapati out put the omelette on the chapati and then roll it up so it sounds pretty bland and it sounds pretty boring but it Trust me, it was amazing. Absolutely beautiful. It was Sometimes they would add avocado, they might add onions, and they were so cheap, but really filling. So yeah. it was the calorie to cash ratio. It was amazing. Um, elsewhere, I went to a restaurant in Nairobi, which is uh, called Carnivore, which is quite famous. They basically grill an all-you-can-eat buffet of meat. And some of the meat, so they had ostrich, they had alligator, they had camel. So it was kind of really trying some foods that you'd never normally try, weirdly all tasted the same and all tasted like chicken. I know that's a cliche. Um, the, 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 the other surprising thing was um, some of the food that was available. So in uh, Kampala, the capital of Uganda, they had a KFC which, uh, which caught me off guard a bit. Everywhere. They are just everywhere. Every, I, I have a thing with my friend now. I try to go to bizarre places in the world and I take a picture of KFCs because he loves KFC and I send it to him. So we're, we're building up a tally of weird KFCs around the world, which is quite <laughs> funny. Uh, and Guinness as well. They, they sold bottles of Guinness. Okay. So tell me a little bit
0: more about like, how was the, the fashion and the, like, the culture in like, Africa in comparison to what you were expecting and to over here.
3: Fashion was very full on. Some of the suits that African men wore were were incredible. Uh, lots of very bright colours. Lots of sort of very like oversized ties, which were quite cool actually. I often felt quite underdressed. Uh, the women wore very bright and colourful clothes as well. Uh, in terms of the culture, um, very friendly, very very sort of welcoming. You, you sit next to someone on a bus. They they you know they they're interested in where you're from. They're interested in you know. What's it like in your country? Why are you here? Kind of kind of questions. Um, very sort of accommodating. You, you could be somewhere struggling to find directions or you could need a reservation or, or anything and they would help
0: you. Is there any specific instance that sticks out to your mind on your trip?
3: Yeah, I guess um, uh, in, in Rwanda, me and a friend, we decided to hire motorbikes and head off down the Congo Nile Trail, um, as you do. And... Uh, We wanted to get from Kibui to Gesenye in a day, which were two sort of uh, big towns. So we set off and it was all going well uh, on our our motorbikes. And then suddenly the road which followed the trail just ended. And basically no one had told us that the road wasn't finished. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So it was effectively a building site. So it was quite tricky to sort of ride the motorbike over uh then it started raining so now you're just in like in jungle effectively yeah just in villages sort of right out in the countryside following this sort of muddy path that was being built around us there were diggers there were uh, builders everywhere and it was still being built in front of our eyes so the mud was horrendous we got stuck countless times oh my god so you're having to like like basically yeah get off the bike push go a bit more, fall off, get off the bike, push. And it was going on and on. We were going through villages and obviously kept falling off and crashing. We had loads of youngsters running after our bikes. Every time we stopped, they were helping us to push. Then we'd Aww. get back on, we'd head through again, and then they'd be helping us to push. So we we made lots of new friends. And it was great, actually, because we were we were the only tourists there. Everyone was like, what are you doing here? How have you got here? Um, right at sort of the heart of the country, um, just interacting with the locals and we actually it got to nightfall, and we we had nowhere to stay. We were nowhere near where we planned to stop over for the night. We couldn't really go back, so we were like, "Because there, we, no there was no
0: trail." Because there was no trail. Yeah,
3: there was no trail, and the kids would go to sleep, so they wouldn't even be able to push us. So we we were, we were in a bit of a mess, uh, and we just asked the man if if there was anywhere we could stay, because you know we were in the middle of nowhere effectively and he said sure come to my guest house which was an amazing stroke of luck i mean i'm not sure how many tourists this guest house gets yeah but it was great for us he took us up he made us food he gave us a few beers uh, let us stay the night we had a shower because we were caped in mud and then the next morning he uh, he saw us off on our way so you, you know just complete random acts of kindness
0: yeah so what would you say are some of the misconceptions you think people currently still have about africa that you as someone who's gone now can say that's not true
3: i I guess the misconception is is you know what's there what's the infrastructure like is it isn't it all just empty and barren and 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 stuff but actually i found really good infrastructure it was quite easy to travel around i mean it wasn't always the most comfortable ways of getting around but it was it was doable um the cities are amazing but places like nairobi uh, kampala uh, kigali and rwanda huge huge cities that have you know really big expat scene um Uber's, Airbnbs, kind of everything you'd expect from, particularly my home, for example, here in London. So that that was one. I think people sort of thought, "What are you going to do there? How are you going to get around?" It's not set up for tourists. Um, so that was one misconception. I guess I guess the other misconception maybe is just kind of why you're going. Almost, I, I got a lot of people being like, "Why you? Why, why do you want to go there? What's the what's the draw?" And then when I went there, seeing some of the sites I saw, having some of the experiences I saw uh it's just totally eye-opening and and it was so fun and it was so uh, kind of I'm trying to think of the word to describe it almost it was so so freeing in a way um just to go somewhere that's a bit off the beaten track uh and just have a lot of fun and I think probably final misconception would be that you have to have lots of money to go to Kenya for example I mean I'm not going to lie some of the things that I did like a safari I went gorilla tracking they're not cheap activities but you don't have to be a sort of high-end, wealthy individual to go on a package tour of Kenya. You can you can go, you can travel independently. Uh, you can do a mixture of tours and stuff. And there were plenty of people sort of traveling around. So I think maybe maybe that was a preconceived misconception as well um, that, that I found to be different.
0: How has traveling to ever kind of like opened your eyes in terms of traveling to other places in the world?
3: I think probably... Uh, just not judging a book by its cover, really, uh, giving giving everything a chance. I think it would have been very easy to to sort of say that's too difficult or it's, it's not feasible or I don't go on Instagram and people don't have photos from Rwanda or Uganda. Everyone's in Thailand or everyone's in South America. Um, and it just opened my eyes to the possibility of, you know, you look at the map, you look at places that aren't necessarily major tourist hubs, and there's still like an incredible amount of things to offer like some of the experiences i had in these countries and the activities i did you 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 wouldn't imagine that you could do them there really or you'd you'd never think and it's mainly because you just don't see it you don't see other travelers doing it you don't see you don't see it on social media it's not talked about as much and that's kind of made me realize that actually there's a lot of hidden gems out there that, that you can find. You just have to be a little bit more open-minded, a little bit willing to sort of take a, take a gamble, take a bit of a risk, uh, get off the beaten track and, and and just go and throw yourself in really and have a good time.
0: Awesome. So as a person who's been to Africa, what things would you recommend people to do if they visited Africa?
3: Um I mean, Safari would be safari. would be would be one of the big ones, which is kind of an obvious one. Um, one thing I did uh, in Uganda was gorilla tracking. You can do it in other countries as well. Uh, so you basically uh, they have a sort of family of gorillas that every single day the the rangers go and visit them for an hour because they're they kind of protecting them, checking them, uh, they're monitoring their movements and stuff. So you set off in the morning with two two guides, uh, a couple of rangers head off into the forest. I did it in a a windy, impenetrable forest it was called and it really was impenetrable. It was a proper trek through the forest Um, and then you come out and you basically find this family of gorillas and you spend an hour, you get one hour to sort of just stand and watch them and sit and watch them and it was amazing. So I definitely recommend that. Um... Again, yeah, uh, safari is great things to do. You can, you can go monkey tracking as well. Uh, I went to a, a monkey uh, conservation centre on the coast in Kenya, which, which was great. Uh, also good, good trekking opportunities as well. Um, there's, there's Mount Kenya, which is a, a really big mountain to climb. Um, and in the north of Uganda, you, you can go and trek as well. Uh, and the other thing I'd recommend to do would be uh, to not be a scaredy cat like me and go and raft on the Nile. I didn't do it but I met plenty of people who did it. Uh, you can do it in Uganda in a uh, place called Ginger, and you can basically take take a raft down the Nile um, through the rapids. It looked really cool. I'm a bit of a scaredy cat when it comes to...
0: I mean, I feel like I would s- I say I, I would want to do it, but yeah. then getting there, I'd be like... Mm. Yeah. I feel like I've seen this movie before. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're hardcore rapids. And I saw the posters advertising it. You've got a you've got a boat crashing through the rapids, and I'm I'm, a, I'm too much of a scaredy cat to do that.
0: Something to do next time you go.
3: Yeah, next time. Next time you go, I'll bring my
0: armbands. <laughs> <So laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Adam, for stopping by and telling us a bit about your Africa excursions.
3: No problem. Thank you for having me.
0: That's it for today's episode of Out of Office, powered by Contiki. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. I'm going to be talking about vegan travel, the future of aviation, and everything that you need to do in Peru that isn't Machu Picchu. I'll see you then.